you ever done something or said something that you regretted? I can remember one time I was talking to this lady and I asked her a question that I thought was really simple, but, but it, it turned out it wasn't maybe the best question. I said, hey, uh, when's that baby due? And I soon regretted that question. Or maybe you've been talking to a couple before like I have and you said, oh, it's really great you brought your mom. And they said, that's my wife. And then you just kind of step back and you regret it and you know it's like it's already out and you can't change it, but ah, you wish you wouldn't have. Or maybe it's a little more serious than that. Maybe it was something you did, an action you took against somebody else, or you know, maybe it was your temper that flared. You said you did. Maybe you ruined a relationship, but you have regret. Maybe you have some remorse from that. If that's you, then then you know exactly how the disciples felt the night that Jesus was arrested. You see, the night that Jesus was arrested, the disciples gathered together in the upper room with Jesus, and they were, they were all gathered around this table eating and celebrating Passover together. And that evening was so special. Jesus introduced that evening this idea of communion. And they gathered in communion. They, 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 just, they had this amazing, amazing night. But then within hours, Jesus would be arrested. And it was so crazy because, because that week, things were so different. On the beginning of the week, the, the, the Sunday before, the Monday before, Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And people were literally shouting, Hosanna, praise God, praise Jesus. Like they were shouting for him. And not even a week later, things were completely different. Things had changed. And so on this first Easter, things began to look a little bit different than they expected. The disciples thought that Jesus was going to take over Jerusalem and take over the Romans and he was going to put in the kingdom. Like that's what they expected to happen. They thought he was going to prove that he was God, which is exactly what he was going to do, just not the way that they thought. And then you had Peter. Peter was probably Jesus' top disciple. Jesus picked these 12 guys and, and he chose three out of the 12 to be his inner circle. And he chose one and he said, you know, I see the most promise in you, Peter. P Peter, I, I see the most promise. Like, I, I think you've got something special. In fact, he said to Peter, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. That was a big deal. And so you have Peter and you have the other disciples. And then that evening, Jesus is arrested. And we see that as Jesus is arrested, things are starting to look a little different. And this trial goes on. It's a fake trial. It doesn't really, there's no real witnesses. And, and, and people are making claims that, that aren't really true. And, and the disciples are watching. And in fact, Peter walked into the courtroom and he was sitting there. And he realized Jesus is going to be convicted. He realized at some point in time that Jesus was going to be tried and he was going to be executed. And at that moment, he began to sense some fear. In fact, this little girl, literally a little girl comes over to him and goes, Hey, Peter, weren't you with Jesus? He's like, no, 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 I, no, I don't know Jesus, no. And just a little bit later, another person comes over to Jesus, and, or comes over to Peter, and he says, Peter, Peter, weren't you with Jesus? I'm pretty sure I saw you with him. Like, I'm pretty sure you're with him. And he's like, no, no, no. 
And then one more time, somebody else comes over to Peter and, and he says, hey, I think I saw you with Jesus. And this time he's so adamant, he literally curses. I was not with Jesus. And then Jesus, he was up in this upper court. He had Peter down below and he's warming himself by a fire. And, and Jesus looked down and he made eye contact with Peter. And at that moment, Peter felt it. Peter felt the regret. Peter knew that he had messed up. Peter knew that he had failed. And Jesus looked down and he realized all the things that Jesus had warned him about when he said that you would deny me. And Peter said, no, 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 never me, never me. I won't deny you. In that moment, Peter knew that everything was going to change. Peter knew that he couldn't go back. Peter began to run in fear. Peter knew. And he was full of regret. And then we know that Jesus was tried and that he was put on the cross and he died. He was crucified next to these two felons and, and he died there. And we see in John 19, verse 40 through 42, it says this. It says, they took Jesus' body, the two of them, and wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. And this was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. They would have taken this large stone. It would have been in this groove and they would have rolled it in front of the tomb. And I can just hear the sound. Maybe you can too. Of the, tomb, of the stone falling into place in front of the tomb, that thud as it falls into place. It must have sounded like defeat. It must have sounded like Satan had won. Jesus was dead. It was over. And then they took a seal, the Roman seal, and they put it on that tomb and on that large stone. And that seal must have felt like it was sealing in all that they had hoped for. It must have solidified in their mind that Satan had won and Jesus had lost. And then they put this group of guards in front of the tomb to say, nobody touch this, nobody try to take this body because Jesus is in there and he is dead. It must have felt like failure. And in fact, I think it kind of did to the disciples because we see in, in John 20, in verse 19, it says this. It says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. This is the first Easter morning. At this point, there, there have been rumors that Jesus has risen from the dead. And you know what the disciples are doing? they're quarantining themselves they're locked in a room they're afraid they're afraid of everything that is going on they're afraid of the Jewish leaders they are afraid they thought it was over they thought that they would be next I mean if Jesus had died and they're Jesus's followers why wouldn't it make sense that they would die next how could it have went so wrong so quick Jesus was dead and buried, and their hopes and their dreams 
were lost. But fortunately, Jesus specializes in hopeless situations. Here's what happens. That first Easter, they're behind this closed door. They heard rumors of Jesus' resurrection, and they needed some hope, and the hope that they needed was about to walk through the door. Here's what it says, John 20, the rest of verse 19. It says, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. And in a moment, the room went from anxious to peaceful. And in a moment, all hope that had seemed lost had been restored. Because now Jesus was standing in their presence. He was resurrected. He was alive. Jesus was there. And maybe today, this is what you need. Maybe today you need to have some of that peace. Maybe you need to feel the peace when you have cleaned the house and it looks like a war zone in less than 24 hours. Maybe you need to feel some peace when you feel overwhelmed. Maybe you need some peace when you are lonely. Maybe you need some peace when you are isolated. Maybe you need some peace when you've lost a loved one. Or maybe you need some peace when you've lost your job. Or peace when you plan something out but nothing goes the way you plan. Peace when you've denied or betrayed a friend. Peace when you're full of regret. Jesus walks in and he offers him peace. And then we see in verse 20, he says, after this, he showed them his hands and his side. So first he offers them peace and then he gives them proof. He gives them evidence. Yeah, yeah, I am alive. This is me. Feel my hands. Feel my side. You can feel the nail scarred hands. He gives them peace and he gives them proof. And then in verse 20, it says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They were overjoyed because they knew there ain't no grave that can hold our Savior down. They knew that Jesus was alive. Take a moment and during this next song, reflect on the fact that Jesus is alive. There is no grave that's going to hold him down. And he was out of the grave, and the disciples saw him. They were together in the upper room, and, and it seemed like things maybe would go back to normal, but the disciples didn't really know. And so we pick up the story in John 21, and, and, and we see that, that just a couple days later, the disciples decided to go fishing. It says in, in John 21, it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. So John is here and he is writing. He, he sees what's going on. And, and so John is recording this for us. He's part of this group that decided to go fishing. And it says that Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, the two other disciples were together. And said, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I can imagine being Simon. That made sense. In the middle of all that was happening, he had denied Jesus. He had wronged Jesus. Clearly, Jesus couldn't use him anymore. And so Simon thought, well, I need to go back to what I know. I need to go back to the thing that makes me money. 
the thing that I can pay food or pay rent with and, and get food with. And so he goes fishing. And the rest of the disciples say, you know what? We'll go with you. We don't know what else to do either, so, so we'll just go with you. Why not? And so they go out, and they're in the boat, and says they're fishing all night, but they caught nothing. And then if this was a movie, the, the music would change slightly because the plot is about to thicken. And it says early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, and the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. For some reason, there's this thing in the New Testament that after Jesus was resurrected, time and time again, people didn't recognize Jesus at first. And then eventually they did. And so that's what is happening here. And so Jesus calls out, verse 5 says, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? The word friends, it really is, is a strong, close, close relationship word. It means, it means family. So don't you have any fish? No, they answered. Verse 6, he said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Finally, they recognized it was Jesus. And says, so as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water and the disciples followed him in the boat towing a net full of fish for they were not far from shore about a hundred yards and when they landed they saw a fire burning coals and there were fish on it and some bread I don't know about you but I picture some salmon on cedar planks with some artisan bread and Jesus has prepared this amazing breakfast and then Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and he did the same with the fish. Jesus made breakfast for his friends. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone has betrayed you, do you think to make breakfast for them? Oh, when someone has wronged you, when the disciples turned away from Jesus, every single one of them, they all left him. They all ran. Peter specifically denied him. Judas betrayed him completely and led the guards to him. And then the other disciples all disappeared out of fear. And so you have all of these people that Jesus is like, man, I don't even know. Like, if it was us, I'm pretty sure our report to God about humanity would have been much different. I mean, Jesus spent 30 years, 33 years on earth, 30 of them, it was normal. His last three years was his ministry. And, and during that time, he chose 12 people, and then he chose three out of them and one out of them that he thought was going to be the greatest. And guess what? Every single one of them left him. If it was our job to give a report, we would have said, humanity, not worth it. But that's not Jesus. In fact, Jesus is so different, he literally pursues the people who betrays him, who betray him. He, he takes the initiative here. 
and he goes to where the disciples are. They're at this lake. They're doing what they know. This is after he's resurrected. And he takes the initiative. And he goes and he pursues them. And then he takes it even further. It says in verse 15 that when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and so don't forget, this is the guy that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on you. I see the most potential in you. I'm going to build everything upon you, Peter. Simon Peter, he pulls him aside and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He says, do you love me more than the other disciples? Do you love me more than the things of this world? Do you love me more than fishing? Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I love you. And then Jesus says, feed my lambs. And then Jesus asks him a second time, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yeah, of course I do. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then a third time, again, Peter asks him, do you love me more than these? And, and, and Peter at this point is getting so frustrated with Jesus. He's just exasperated with him. And, and he says, yes, of course, Jesus. Jesus, you know my thoughts. You know my heart. Jesus, don't you know I love you? And I can only imagine what Peter was feeling, but obviously he had this regret. He had some shame. I imagine he thought, Jesus, I always loved you. I, I just had a bad night. It was a mistake. I don't know what I was thinking. It was just, it was a bad day for me. I don't know why I denied you. Jesus, I've always loved you. And Jesus does something absolutely amazing here. Jesus says something just, that is just so amazing and so Jesus-like because none of us would do this. But in this moment, he restores Peter. Again, Peter's frustrated. Peter's failed. Peter thinks all is lost. He thinks all of the things that Jesus talked about, the hope, the dreams, the things that he thought were going to happen, he's, he, he knows they're not. And Jesus in this moment says, Peter, don't you realize I've defeated death? P Peter, don't you realize I defeated the grave? J Peter, if I defeated those things, don't you think I can defeat your failures? If I've defeated death, don't you think I can defeat your denials? If I've defeated the grave, don't you think I can turn your failures into gardens? And he takes the things that Peter did and, and he restores him to this amazing place. He turns his graves into gardens. He turns his failures and his faults into gardens. And, and here's what Jesus says in verse 19. He says, follow me. So Peter, it's not over. Peter, it's not done. Peter, we're here around the fire. The disciples are here with us and we're having breakfast together. I pursued you. I've made you fish. I, I've made you some bread. I want to have a relationship. Peter, don't you see I'm different than others? Peter, can't you see that I'm the son of God? Can't you see that there's a difference here? Peter, I'm pursuing you. And I want you to follow me. That's the kind of God that Jesus is.
The type of God that wants to have a relationship with you. The type of God that wants to know you. The type of God that knows you by name and he wants to draw you close. He wants to pursue you and he wants to have this relationship. That's the type of God Jesus is. He takes the person who betrayed him, who failed him, and he says, you know what? I'm going to build my church on you. I see so much potential in you, Peter. Peter, follow me. Follow me, Peter. And I would say that he's saying the same to you today. Maybe for you, you've never decided to follow Jesus because you feel like you failed too much. You have so many regrets. You have so much hurt. You have so much pain. And you think, God would never want me. Jesus would never come after me. But I'm here to tell you today that he did exactly that to Peter and he is doing exactly that for you today. He wants to turn your graves in the gardens. He's pursuing you today. <laughs> and this is so amazing because what Jesus does is he, he tells us that our past is not a death sentence for our future. The, the past that you may have, the, the things that you've done that you regret, those things are not a death sentence for your future. In fact, he wants to turn that grave into a garden. He wants to bring new life to it, just like he was brought to, to life. He wants to defeat death and sin. He wants to do that in your life. He, he wants a relationship with you and with me. He wants that. Your past is not a death sentence for your future. And today, you can have a relationship with this God. This God that shows ultimate acceptance. This God that cares so much about you that he was willing to die on a cross, a horrible, painful death. But Jesus was brought back to life by God, meaning that his sacrifice was accepted and that death has been defeated. In fact, in John eleven twenty five, we see that, that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life and the one who believes in me will live even though they die. He says, it doesn't matter. Even if you, if you die, you have eternal life in me if you believe, if you're willing to believe. If you're willing to believe that Jesus died on a cross, that he rose again, that he wants to have this relationship. But, it's, but it really is a little more than just mental assent. He says in this passage that we have to follow him. We, we know that people believe in Jesus, but have they really placed their faith in Jesus? Oftentimes, as a pastor, I hear people say things like, well, I've always known about Jesus. Well, maybe you've known about them. Guess what? Satan knows about Jesus. Satan knows that Jesus rose from the dead. Satan knows that Jesus died on the cross, but, but it doesn't mean he's going to be in heaven. It doesn't mean that he's defeated death. You see, there's, there's a step where you believe, but then you follow. You prove your belief through faith and following. 
And today Jesus is calling out and he was saying, follow me. And on Easter, there's no better time to remember how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Because we see in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that it says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? You see, when we decide to follow Jesus, we find victory from death. Because Jesus defeated death. The grave didn't hold him down. Jesus defeated death. He turned the graves into gardens. And he defeated it once and for all. You know what that means? That means there are so many things here on earth that we experience that we will not experience in heaven. In fact, I started writing down a list. A list of all of these different things that we will not experience in heaven. In heaven, there will be no Parkinson's disease. In heaven, there will be no death row. There will be no cancer, no divorce, no rejection, no loneliness, no more jail cells, no more casts or crutches or wheelchairs, no more depression, no more radiation, no more suicide bombers, no more school shootings, no more anxiety or medications, no middle-of-the-night phone calls, no more child abuse, no more rape, rape, no more coughs or colds, no more flu shots, no more aches, no more love handles, no more double chins, no more shaving or waxing, no more yelling or fighting, no more traffic or road rage, no more, no more, no more hormones or no more doctors, no more needles or vaccines, no more funeral homes, no more hospitals, no more nursing homes, no more shame, no more thorns or thistles, no more courtrooms, no more foreclosure notices, no more motionless ultrasounds, no more face masks, and no more social distancing. There will be no more because Jesus says, I have come to make everything new. I have come to turn graves into gardens. And so what about you today? Jesus is inviting you to breakfast on the beach. He wants you to join him, to sit around the fire and to follow. He says, will you follow me? He wants to turn your graves into a garden. All you have to do is accept the invitation for breakfast on the beach. Let's pray together. God, we come to you this morning just celebrating the fact that we know you are a resurrected Savior. Knowing that, that in you we have life, that death has been defeated, that in you we can have eternal life. And, and God, today I know that you are inviting us into a relationship. Just like you did with Peter where you restored him to the former relationship where you worked in his life, where you changed the things that were in the past, you turned them from graves into gardens. And God, you want to do that in our lives today as well. God, I pray for the individuals in this room that right now they would say, you know what? I don't have faith in Jesus yet. I am not following Jesus. Maybe I believe or understand what happened, but, but man, I haven't placed my faith. I haven't truly accepted who he was and, and the fact that he died for my sin. God, I would pray for that person right now. I pray that today, on Easter Sunday, no better day, that today they would accept you as their personal Savior. God, in fact, maybe you're here and that's you today. I'm just going to pray a short little prayer in just a second. And I would ask you to pray that prayer along with me. 
if you want to accept and follow Jesus as your Savior. Just say something like this, God, I know that I have sinned and I've done wrong, but I know that you died on a cross so that I could have life. Jesus, thank you for being my Savior. Please help me to follow you with all, with all of my heart, with all of my mind, and all of my strength. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, I want to say that you have accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, and that is so amazing and so exciting. Here's what I'd ask you to do. I, I just want to celebrate with you. And, and so I would say, if you've done that, can you just raise your hand up so I can see it? No one else is going to look around. I'm just going to look around. But I want to celebrate with you today the fact that you accepted Christ as your Savior. God, we just thank you. We thank you for those who rose, raised their hands this morning. And we just pray that as we celebrate today, that you will renew in our hearts and renew in our minds and realign us to what you have for us. God, we thank you for salvation. We thank you that death is defeated. We thank you that there will be no more of so many things in heaven. And we look forward to the day that we can be with you. And we pray this in your name.